0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, as the children are heading that way, let me ask you to open your copy of God's Word with me to the book of James. James chapter 2 is where we'll be. And uh, two weeks ago, I started in this passage, and I was prepared that day to carry through verses 14 through 26. And uh, I abruptly uh, stopped right around verse 19. Verse 19. And uh, I did so because uh, there's just too much here. There's just too much between verses twenty through twenty-six, and I didn't want to leave you confused. I didn't want to do it injustice. I didn't want to just run past some things, and for you to walk away saying, "But what?" And and I may leave you that way still today. But I'm praying not. I pray that uh, that this would be very clear, and uh, and that God would glorify Himself in the preaching of His Word today. Um. In this series, we are in this series, Do Something, and I have made this disclaimer. I've tried to be very clear all the way through this series. We're not telling you to do something in order to be saved. Uh, For almost five years now, being your pastor, I feel like I've come in literally every week and tacked a new banner up behind me that simply said, By Grace Alone. Okay, So don't hear me saying that, that today I'm nailing up a new banner. We're not doing that. We still believe that God saves us by His grace alone, that we receive that by faith. But, uh, but James, his premise of this book, without giving too much away from the text this morning, is that if you have been saved, then it will make a difference in your life. And uh, and we're going to look at this in the context of who he's preaching to. But before I read this passage, I want to just review with you what we looked at two weeks ago. You'll hear this as I read through. But he he covered two types of faith that do not save. He covered first of all, there is a dead faith. It is possible to have a faith, to have a claim to faith, to have a claim to believe in Christ, but for it to be dead, to be useful to no one. He says, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works there in verse 14? What he's talking about there is if this brother or sister comes to you, they don't have food for the day, they don't have adequate clothing, and you simply say to them, you have means to meet their needs, but you simply say to them, God bless you. Go and keep warm and be well fed and you're hiding behind this excuse and not really helping them, then it betrays the fact that you really don't have faith. Because someone who has faith, who has received the gospel, who has been forgiven much in Christ and given the righteousness of of Christ, shows up in the way that person would respond. So neither that person who comes who's needy is helped, nor is the person who claims to have that faith helped. That's dead faith. The second type of faith that he covered in those first few verses there in chapter 2 of James, he talked about this demonic faith. And what demons do is, and what this person who who comes, this hypothetical person who comes and says, look, I've got faith, you've got works. James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. What, What demonic faith is is this trying to separate the two. It's trying to separate out faith From any works, and saying that that you can have one without the other. And and he's very plain there. He says, Look, you believe God's one. That's good. That's orthodox. That's right. But even the demons believe that. Demons have right theology, they believe so many things that we would affirm, yet they're not saved. They tremble. It says they shudder. They have this emotional response to who he is. But they're still not saved. And I'm afraid that there are many who sit in church chairs or church pews week in, week out, who have right theology, maybe, maybe have, have felt chill bumps, goosebumps, as something was preached and it just meant so much to you, but you're, not, you're just like the demons. You're not saved. Those are two types of faith he covers. And the reason James does this, and I tremble doing this because the last thing I want to do is to afflict a, a believer who is securing Christ but who struggles with and wrestles with doubt. I don't want to cause you to, to wrestle with that anymore. But what James is saying is that you better examine your faith. You better make sure. You better know that you have this genuine faith. So he covered dead faith. He covered demonic faith. And today we're going to spend all of our time on dynamic faith this morning, okay? So dynamic faith is what we're going to look at. Follow along with me as I read James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. James replies, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is where we'll pick up today. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James starts this section that we will be in today in verse 20. With this, this question, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith without works, that faith apart from works, is useless? And I won't spend a lot of time here on this verse. I want to go on to the, to the other parts of this text. But it, it, there's, a, there's a word in here that gives us a clue as to what James is all about. Do you want to be shown? James is all about this faith being shown, that faith ought to show up in your life. Dynamic faith that we're going to talk about today always includes work. It always includes work. It's not adding works to faith, but it's works flowing from faith. In the same way that a a, a fruit tree produces fruit. Does Does that tree one day, you plant this tree in your yard, it grows over years, you've watered and nurtured it, and all of a sudden one day that tree decides, you know what, I like the looks of that apple tree over there. I think today I'll become an apple. I'm going I'm to add apples to my repertoire. Is that what a, what a tree does? Or in the seed of that tree, before it is ever planted in the ground, does it not already contain all of the genetic material to be able to produce apples? And see, that's what we're saying here. That's what James is saying. That's what Paul would say. Paul's agreeing with James. He would say that... When you are saved, when God comes to you in your dead state and gives you new life in Christ, that you become a new creature and that within everything that you receive in that moment, it it will become fruit. Some of you, some of you, I, 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 I say this carefully because this is not a joy to me, but there are some in the room who have dead faith. It is absolutely no good at all, and it will not save you in the end. And you will think, you will come out of this message, and you will hear, I just need to add some fruit to my life. And it would be the equivalent of me going out to a mimosa tree in my yard, deciding that I wanted an apple tree, and for me to start gluing apples onto that mimosa tree. That mimosa tree does not become an apple tree by adding fruit to it. An apple tree is an apple tree because it's what God has made it to be. I hope you see that. I hope you hear that as we walk through this. James here then gives us two examples, two living, breathing examples of people who had dynamic faith. His first example is Abraham. Abraham, the the patriarch, in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now it sounds like here that James, when he says Was not Abraham justified by works? It sounds like James is contradicting Paul. We're going to examine this and see. I want you to hang with me today because somebody said the other day, um, that they, they weren't sure if unbelievers came into our service that, that, that the unbeliever would, would really understand and comprehend what's being preached here. Let me remind you that the preaching here today, while we want it to be gospel-centered and we want it to be evangelistic, the gospel, the reason we gather and listen to the Word of God, it's not for unbelievers. It is for the church so that you might then take it and go out and be on mission where you already live, work, and play. So hang with me as we walk through this text together. Or Paul says things like Romans 3:28, "For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law." Paul also said things like, in Galatians chapter two, "Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law." Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Well, it certainly sounds here like Paul saying a person is saved, justified, apart from works of the law, by faith alone. Sounds like he's saying something totally different than what James is saying. Don't you see that Abraham was justified by works and not by faith alone? Sounds like they're saying the exact opposite thing. But here's what we know we know that God's word is true. We know that God's Word is pure and that it is perfect, that it is perfectly unified. And therefore, we've got some work to do. We've got to examine this and look for what is an apparent contradiction. How are we going to explain this? Well, first we're going to look at the the Word itself. Both Paul and James use the word justified. If we go back to the original language, we, we look at this word and we learn that this particular word has two common meanings. The first common meaning for this word justified is, is acquittal. It means to declare someone righteous or to declare someone not guilty, to declare them innocent. It's what a judge would do. It's the way Paul uses this word almost, almost exclusively. He uses it a couple times a different way, but, but he uses it most of the time in this way, talking about that in Christ we are not guilty, That we are righteous, that the judge has declared us to be so. That's the first meaning for the word justified. But there's a second meaning. Hang with me. The second meaning is vindication or proof of righteousness. This is the second way that this word can be used. So James here, when he says that Abraham is justified by works and not faith alone, we have to decide whether James is saying that... Because Abraham sacrificed Isaac that God looked at him and said there's a man who deserves righteousness or whether James is saying when Abraham laid Isaac on that altar and raised the knife to slay his son at the command of God whether James is saying that that vindicated proved that he had already been made righteous. See, it can be used two different ways here. James is either saying one or the other. So we, we've got this, we, we, we now have this understanding, two different definitions of this word. Second, we've got to go back to the original. Recording of this story. If if this is the focus of our text today, Abraham laying Isaac on the altar, and he says that he's justified by works and not by faith alone, when he offered Isaac up, then we go back to the account, which is in Genesis. When did God declare Abraham righteous? Because James seems to be saying here that he was declared righteous when... He laid Isaac on the altar. So let's go back and look at what the Word of God says. You go back to Genesis chapter 22. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to turn there. But let me read for you this account in verses 1 through 12. And I want you to participate with me and listen in the reading of this passage whether or not there's anything said of God declaring Abraham righteous in this account. Okay? Listen for that. Abraham, he said, My father. And he, and, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. The question I asked you was to listen for anything there about God declaring Abraham righteous in that passage. Did you hear anything about that there? No. No. God says, now I know that you're not going to hold anything from me, but He doesn't say, now you are righteous. He doesn't say anything about it. So it's not here that God declares him to be righteous. So we think, well, where does God make him righteous? If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, some 30 years before this very event where he lays Isaac on the altar, you read this, and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, did you hear anything there that would lead you to believe that God declared him to be righteous? Absolutely. It was here that God counted his belief to be righteous. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we we look at this and we say, okay, here we understand then. It, It appears that James is not using this word justified in that original sense of God declaring him to be righteous when he offers up Isaac. Instead, it seems that James is saying that when he laid Isaac on the altar, that it was proof of what God had done some 30 years before that in Genesis 15. See, James and Paul are not saying two separate things. They're saying the same thing, that a person is saved. They are justified by faith alone, but that when they are justified, that it will work its way out in vindication and proof throughout their life. Well, if, if James is not intending to contradict, hang with me, there's application coming, I promise you. If James is not intending to contradict Paul, then why does he word it this way? Why does he say it this way? Why does he say it that would leave us to such confusion? Well, you have to understand who he's writing to. I heard one pastor illustrate it this way. If you're in a doctor's office and you, uh, you're sitting in your room waiting for the doctor to come in, and there's a room over here where there's a patient, and there's a room over here where there's a patient, and you can hear the doctor come into both those rooms. And he comes into this room, and you hear him say to this guy, Look, you, you've, got to, you, you've got to start exercising more. You've, start, you've got to start, start getting up and being active. And he leaves that room, and then he goes over here, and he says to this patient, Look, you've got to sit down. You've got to slow down. You've got to stop doing all that you're doing. Is that a contradiction? No, the issue is it's a different patient, right? And that's largely what's going on here. James is writing to an entirely different group of people than Paul is writing to. James is emphasizing this horizontal faith, this faith that works its way out among men. Paul, when he writes and says a person's justified by faith alone, he's emphasizing not horizontal faith among men, but he's emphasizing this faith toward God. James, when he writes, James has his eye on the end of salvation. Paul has his eye on the beginning of salvation. How do you come to know Christ? James is not concerned with how do you come to know Christ. Remember, he's writing to believers who are scattered out among the region because of persecution. They've had to leave Jerusalem. James was writing to Jewish believers who had been steeped in religion and who would be tempted with laziness. I'm afraid this is where we are in so many of our churches in America. We've handled the things of God for so long that they've become commonplace. And, and you know what faith is to us? Well, we show up on Sunday morning. We, we try to get our same parking spot, but sometimes that doesn't work out, you know. We come in, and maybe, maybe it's not to our liking that day, the song selection, or maybe the temperature in the room's not not so great. And, and, you know, we, we pass the plate, we throw a little bit in there, we listen to the sermon, and then we head out and we go to lunch. That's what faith has become, I'm afraid, in America in so many churches. And that's who James is writing to. James is writing to these Jewish believers who've just been steeped in religion, and they're tempted with laziness. They're tempted to just sit down and do nothing. Paul is writing, though, to people who are lost, or who are just recently converted out of paganism, and they don't know anything different, and it just seems too easy for them, and they think constantly, well, there must be something else that I can do, there must be something else that I can add, to which Paul says, no, no, you don't add anything, it's faith plus nothing, it's Jesus plus nothing. I mean, he was dealing with people that were asking questions like, but but." Do I need to be circumcised? No. Do I I need to keep the dietary laws? No. Not in order to be saved. James is writing to an entirely different people. They are already saved. And they're lazy in the way they are exercising their faith. James was talking about works that complete faith. You'll hear that in, in the next few verses here in just a second. Paul was talking about emphasizing works that compete with faith. Now, Ethan and Emily are down here. They didn't know I was going to insert them into the sermon. But they've just gotten married. They're just back. This is their first weekend back with us after their honeymoon. And, uh, and we stood right here on this platform uh, a couple of weekends ago. And, um, and they said their vows to one another. For better or worse, till death do us part. We pronounce you husband and wife and all that sort of thing. Now, that's one thing. But what if they come back from their honeymoon, and I I said, um, "Ethan, Emily, how how are things going? You guys getting settled into the house?" And Emily looked at me and said, "Oh, we're not living together." I mean, have you seen his feet? I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not moving in with that. Why does a Why does a couple move in together after they are married? To complete the marriage, right? See, what James is emphasizing is a work that completes the faith. Paul is emphasizing works that compete with faith. So, is James contradicting Paul? No, not at all. In fact, I want to prove to you that they're saying exactly the same thing. If you read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9, through nine, Paul says, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith." And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, up to that point, Paul has had said the same thing we've heard him say already, that you are saved by faith, not by works. But if you go on in Ephesians chapter 2 and read the very next verse, verse 10, Paul says, not James, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for Good works. Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, Paul and James are not at odds. They are saying the exact same thing. They're just coming from different angles to different audiences to different stages of where someone is in the gospel walk. What are the results then? We look at this text. I want us to be faithful to the text. What are the results of this this type of faith, this dynamic living faith? If Abraham here is not declared righteous when he sacrificed Isaac, but that was proof that he had been already declared righteous back in Genesis 15, what are the results? What does that look like? If you've got that kind of faith, not a dead faith or a demonic faith, but a real living dynamic faith, what does that look like? Well... Verse 22 says, you see that faith was active along with his works. That active along with there is in the imperfect tense, and what that tells us is that this was ongoing, that this was not a single event in his life, that this was not out of character for Abraham to do something like lay his son on this altar. Can you imagine anything being harder than that? But this was not out of character for Abraham. In fact, this had been going on. He had been exercising this type of faith before this event, and he would go on exercising this afterwards. Dynamic faith in your life and my life combines work and faith together. It's this constant getting up every day saying, you know what, I may not feel a certain way today, but I know God has saved me based on the finished work of Christ, and therefore I'm going to obey God today. It's this work and faith coming together. And this is what dynamic faith looks like. 22 goes on and it says, And faith was completed by his works. There's that word completed I told you to look for. Not that there was anything deficient or defective in his faith before. When when James here says that the works completed his faith, he's not saying that somehow his faith was was a, a cheap brand. It was a scratch and dent cell. He needed a little bit of marker to fill in that gap so you wouldn't see it. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is that that when he exercised his faith, his exercise of his faith took his faith to the natural trajectory of where faith has always intended to go. If, if we're back here on the softball field and someone pitches a, a, a ball to you and you swing with all your might and you make great contact, does the ball just stop right there off the bat, just fall to the ground? Or does it travel through the air and, and wind up either in someone's glove or out in the outfield or over the fence or somewhere, right? What he's saying here is that faith in some way is, while it is, it, it's exerting no effort, But faith is is like the contact of the bat with ball. But the works will be that natural overflow of where that ball is going to wind up going. That if you indeed have faith, that it will result in works of righteousness. You can't meet Christ and not be changed. You can't have faith and not have works of righteousness in your life. They're not works to earn you righteousness. They are works that flow from righteousness. Do you see the difference? Are you all still with me? I know this is heavy this morning, but follow with me, okay? There's application coming. Verse 23, this dynamic faith looks like this also. He says, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Again, it proves that the person has truly been saved. In verse 23, he goes on and he says, and Abraham was called a friend of God. Now, isn't this exactly what Jesus said? What Jesus taught in John chapter 15? John 15, verses 14 through 15, Jesus said, You are my friends if, what? If you do what I command you. Jesus went on to say, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does, does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is not saying, look, if you want to really be my follower, if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be a Christian, then you've got you to gotta do what I tell you to do. What Jesus is saying is, those who are truly mine, they do what I say it shows up in their life. Not perfectly. We're not going to walk this and and carry out every command of Christ with perfection. Jesus alone did that. If we could do that, why'd He come? He came because we couldn't. But because He has, by faith we receive what He's given us and it will show up in the way that we live. What a privilege to be called the friends of God. You know, there's a lot of people that you could say, I know that person, drop their name. You know, uh, my, my mom went to high school with Dolly Parton. How do you like that? Right? You, know, you could drop a name. You could, you, could, you could drop the president's name or you could drop this, I know such and such or I'm a friend of so and so. Can you imagine a greater privilege that God calls you his friend? I can stand here today and say, my mom went to high school with Dolly Parton. I got a picture with me with her in my house. Dolly doesn't know who I am, though. Dolly wouldn't call me her friend. She'd say, Scott who? It's not just that we call God our friend. It's that God calls us his friend. Let that sink in. That is is an amazing thought. But keep in mind that this is not for everybody. That this is not just a blanket God calls everybody friends. God's friends with everybody. He's so loving. No, it's only for those, Jesus says, who do what He commands. the, The demons, with their brand of faith, couldn't claim to be the friends of God. They're not friends of God. He doesn't call them friends. He cast them out of people all over the place when He walked among us on this earth. They paled back from Him. They were afraid of Him. We know who you are. You're the Son of God. Don't destroy us. Cast us into those pigs. Right? That's not the response of a friend. Everybody can't claim this. The man or the woman who offers only lip service to the one in need can't claim to be a friend of God. Remember the passage I shared with you where Jesus looks at at them and says, you fed the hungry, you clothed those without clothing, you cared for the sick, you visited them in prison, therefore enter into into your rest. The rest, he sent them out. You remember that? Those who are genuinely saved by faith, it will show up in the way they live. And in, in their obedience and following after Christ, we are called friends of God. Well, there is a second example here, and I'll move through this one very quickly. Uh, I hope to, anyway. Uh, second example of dynamic faith here that, that James gives us, and it is v- one that is very different than Abraham. It is not Abraham um, the patriarch. It is Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Like Abraham, Rahab was, was not saved because she was a good person or because she did a good thing. In fact, she's the exact opposite of that. She is a prostitute. She's not standing before God saying, but God, I was a great prostitute. It's not going to get her anywhere if, if Abraham was the father of Israel, he is a man and he is the, the great patriarch. She is a foreigner, she is a woman, and she is a prostitute. Now you say, well, why do you make being a woman sound like it's a bad thing? Because in that day, before Christ came, socially, it was. Jewish men often thank God that they were not a woman or slave. So, for here, for James here to come and say, Look, let me give you two examples of dynamic faith. Let me give you Abraham, they would have all said, Oh, yes. Great example there, James. And Rahab, what? They would have pushed back from this. They would have have curled back thinking, why is he telling us about Rahab? Why is he putting Abraham and Rahab together? And I think one of the reasons he does so is because he wants us to know, God wants us to know, that regardless of what's in your past, there is not anybody who is beyond the saving power of our God. You are not beyond God's ability to save. You are not beyond... You're not... Beyond, if you have faith, the ability to respond in obedience. Listen to the story of Rahab as it's told in Joshua 2. I won't read the whole thing, but basically it goes like this. Joshua, they're about to go in and try to take Jericho. He sends two spies in to see if the city is ready for them, if they know anything is going on, or if they can come in and attack by surprise. These two spies go in, and they wind up at this house of Rahab. And it made sense that they went to her house because it was on the wall. And not only was it on the wall, but no one would question Rahab, the prostitute, for entertaining strangers. So they could come in, get a look at the city, and probably not be noticed. But somehow they were. And the king gets word that they are there, and he sends soldiers, and he commands Rahab to to give them up, to turn these men over. And Rahab lies, and and she tells these two spies, these two Israelite spies, go up to the roof, hide among the flax, and and I'll come up and get you. When the soldiers come to the door, she lies and and said, well, they were here, but they went that way. If you hurry, you can catch them. She sends them out by another way, and then she goes up to these spies who are on the roof, and this is what she said. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon upon us He's God in the heavens above, and he is God of the earth beneath. Now, this is her response. Her work is that she hid the spies, sent the soldiers away, and helped the spies to escape. Is that when she is justified? Here James says she's justified when she does this. Is that when she's justified? Or is it that she's first heard of all of these works, all of this that this God is doing, and comes to believe? Just as Abraham came to believe, and it was counted to him as righteousness, Rahab believes. She doesn't know all the doctrines. She doesn't know anything really about this God at all. But she comes to be convinced that He is God of the heavens and God of the earth beneath. And she is converted and believes it's counted to her as righteousness. And it works its way out when she put her life on the line to hide and lie about these spies. Now, does God, does he, does he think her lying about these spies is a good thing? No, he doesn't commend her for that. But in this moment, she exercises faith. She exercises this righteousness that she has received. If not for that, her account would sound a lot like the faith of the demons, wouldn't it? If you walk back through what I just read to you, she says, "Look, I know, I know some things about your God. Well, the demons know some things about God too." She says, "We're all afraid. I fear, fear has come across our whole city. The demons shudder with fear." She even says something that's orthodox about him, your God, he is God in the heavens and the earth below. It's orthodox faith. It sounds just like what James has said about the demons, you believe God is one, you do well. So how do we know that she has real faith? Because her real faith goes where the faith of the demons never went. She exercised that faith. She put her life on the line, and that's how we know that her faith is real. She didn't just offer words of of comfort to these Israelite spies. She didn't say to them, you know, hey, the king's sending some soldiers, and i got to tell you, I've come to believe that your God, is is, he's it. He is God. Good luck getting out of here. Right? She doesn't say that to them. Instead, she puts her life on the line. If she's caught doing this, it's not slap on the wrist. Her life's over. They will execute her without thinking twice about it. Now, here's where the application comes. What about you? What about you? Do you find your faith leading to risk? Do you find your faith leading you to obedience? How do you respond when God presents you with a risk? Do you push back from that? There will be times when you will. There will be times this week when we are up in Kentucky, when we will come up up against something that may make us a little uncomfortable. When we will be forced to, to answer whether we're there for us or whether we're there for God. Do you hear yourself uttering a lot of Christianisms without a lot of action? Do you say a lot of nice little words? God bless you. I'll be praying for you. Or do you put yourself on the line in order to help a brother in need? Three points of application and we're we're done. I know we're late on time, but I'll just give these very quickly. Here's here's three of them. Sometimes and this is not the main point of the passage, but I think this is a point of application. Sometimes you're going to come across someone who's going to say to you, I could never believe the Bible because the Bible's just full of too many contradictions. Well, the response most of the time that you should say to them is, really? Where? Because most of the time what you're going to hear from that person is, um, I really don't know. I had I, I just heard someone say it's full of contradictions, and I've never looked for myself. And your response then should be, well, you know what? Would you be willing to read the Bible with me, and let's read it together, and when we come across those contradictions, we'll we'll work through those together. That's a great response. You've struck up a gospel conversation with someone who is a skeptic. Sometimes you'll come across someone who'll say, I could never believe the Bible because it's full of contradictions. You'll say, really, where? And they might point to something like this. And you may not know all of what I've shown you today. The answer then, the response then is for you to say, you know what? I don't have an answer for you today, but I'd like for you to give me a little bit of time so that I can research and I can read and I can look at this and study this. And can we get back together and, and, and let, me, let me bring back to you what I found? Because I can, I can tell you, I can, I can stand here and like I can tell you anything else in my life, I can tell you that the Word of God is true, that it's trustworthy, that you can count on it. You don't have to be afraid of these apparent contradictions because God is not a God of confusion. He's not an author of evil. He's not telling us one thing over here and telling us another thing over here. There's nothing that's beyond His control. He has, over thousands of years, through 40 different authors, put together this book that is seamless. We don't have to be afraid of that. So that's the first point of application. The Bible is true, Trustworthy be ready. second is this. If you are here and you're living in a constant state of worry that, oh, there's just, I don't know, this just seems too easy just to believe. Maybe there's something else that I should do. Then you need to hear the justified that Paul uses. If you're sitting here today saying, but there's got to be something else that I can do. Do you know what you're like? I heard another pastor as he preached through this text say, you're you're like a wife who every day when her husband comes home, she says to her husband at the door, will you marry me? And he says, honey, we're we're already married. You ask me this every day. Nothing's changed. But, But I don't feel married. Honey, we're married. I'm not leaving. Some of you, worry and you struggle with this worry and it's, it eats at you and you think, gosh there's just got to be more why don't I do this and how come I don't want to do this do you understand that God is working on you and conforming you to the image of Christ it's going to take place over your lifetime but in the meantime you need to hear the justified that Paul uses that says Jesus plus nothing faith plus nothing Rest in Him. Third point of application is this. If you, if you live a lazy Christian experience, and there was a little bit of conviction that came when I talked about how in America, Christian faith has become parking lot issues and temperature issues and that sort of thing. If there's a little bit of conviction there with you, you've never moved to respond with any compassion or any obedience to God, then you need to hear the, the, the justified that James uses. If you're truly a believer, if you truly receive faith, then it ought to be showing up in the way you live. I'm not telling you today to go out and start gluing apples onto your life. But nor am I telling you that it's okay that you have no apples at all. Salvation is by faith alone, but dynamic, saving faith is never alone. It will always be accompanied with works of righteousness. That's why James here says in in this last verse, James 2, verse 26, that's why he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You come to a funeral and you you walk along the front and you look into that casket and you look at that body and you see the spirit's not there. The body's not doing much. The body can't respond. You can come by and shed tears. You can lay a hand on the body. You can lean over and even give a kiss. You can whisper and say, I love you, I miss you. But that body's not going to respond. And if you're here today if you're here today and your faith doesn't have works, it's telling you that your faith is not dynamic and living. Your faith is dead and demonic and it will not save. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this is heavy and this is very heady today. God, I pray, Lord, that that we would be able to follow and think and process this. God, we can't do that without your help. Lord, you've told us that the Spirit, you've left the Spirit for us. One of the reasons is that He would remind us of all that has been taught. And God, I pray that that the Spirit would do His work today in the lives of of your people. God, that you would help us to saturate in this. God, I pray that it would It would cause us to think and examine. Lord, we thank you for your work. We thank you that you alone save. God, I pray that you would increasingly produce desire for you and good works in our lives. Lord, make us more like Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you've heard the points of application, but I want to tell you that you can respond after you leave here, but we also want to give you an opportunity to respond here. Um, i 'm going to be seated down here on the front. Ethan's going to play. We want you to take a few minutes and and process this. Maybe you took notes as you went through. Maybe just use these few seconds here just to kind of look back over if there 's a point there that you say i just i still don 't know right now, would you just ask God to help you with that? I want you to really examine your life i don 't take joy i I certainly don't take joy in knowing that there are people that sit and listen that have dead faith that doesn't bring me joy but less joy would be you going into eternity without me telling you I want you to hear and I want you to examine and if today you're here and you come to the place where you say you know what I don't think I have faith at all. I think I have something dead and demonic, but it's not going to save me. Then I would love to talk with you. I'd love for you to come and start a conversation with with me about how do I believe, how do I receive this? If you're here today and you've just been convinced as you look at your life, not that you're perfect, but there are evidences of His grace that there is evidence of genuine faith. Those apples, they may not be all that big and great and shiny, but there's some buds there coming out. And you just want to right now, right where you are, just say, God, thank you for saving me. I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve for you to still call me friend. But God, I want to do what you call me to do. God, I want to be your friend. So God, live through me. Maybe you'd use the words of this song we're going to sing and just respond in song and love the Lord for what He's done in your life. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, do it today. Let's worship Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.